Hey there, it's Kelly from Zinimi. Before we get started on today's episode, I want to invite you to one of our greatest trainings ever. It's how to build and grow a profitable solo or group practice sustainably. All you got to do is check it out at zinimi.com slash podcast. All right, on to our episode. Welcome to the Starting a Counseling Practice podcast with success stories from therapists just like you from all around the country and all around the world who are starting, launching, and expanding and revamping solo and group practices. Today, I have the lovely Beth coming here to share her story of, oh, what happens when you expect private practice to take a really long time to get started? And you have the opposite problem that a lot of people have, which is, gosh, I'm just waiting and hoping for clients to, you are suddenly overrun with clients and expanding into group practice without having solid foundation quite yet <laughs> and what that looks like. Beth, do you want to introduce yourself, where, you, where your practice is located, your domain, like your website address and your specialty? Sure. So I'm Beth Salter. I'm a licensed clinical mental health counselor and licensed clinical um, addiction specialist. And I have a practice in Lexington, North Carolina, which is a very small rural town outside of Winston-Salem. It's Fortitude Counseling and Wellness Services. And um, it's our website is www.fortitudecounselingnc, like North Carolina.com. I think that's all you asked me to say. How, you say very small rural town. How rural? How small are we talking? How many people about? I mean, it's not tiny, tiny, but probably I would say I would say less than ten thousand. I can't imagine us having more than ten thousand. Like we're the county seat too. Yeah. Okay. So, so yeah. Yeah. So I see people from the whole county, but and it's pretty spread out. It's just not. Uh, really all that populated it's starting to grow but not you know not a lot no ten thousand. i mean that's like this the town the size of town that i i grew up when and went to high school there was like a hundred people in my graduating class like it's just all right you know tiny little town so i totally get that okay awesome so tell me in a minute or less why did you decide to become a mental health counselor um well I really wanted to help people find a way to live the life that they wanted, like to live their happiest life, whatever that was for them and found not a lot of satisfaction in many other jobs and just wanted to find a way to do that. So I fumbled a little bit and didn't get my master's till I was like 31, but finally got there. Yeah. And then at what point after you got your master's, did you decide you're, you want to do private practice? Um, that was after working community mental health for like four and a half, almost five years. And I started out, you know, and just an outpatient therapist, did intensive in-home, eventually became a clinical director for the same company and just felt like there had to be a better way because it was all about productivity and numbers and the turnover rate was so high. And we weren't focusing on clients <clears throat> and then went to work at a group practice that of course was not my own and it was not connected to the community at all and just very much more money driven, but not community connected. 
And I'm like, mm. there has to be somewhere in between, like where we still really care about people and are, are connected to the community and working on those sorts of things, but still not so focused on the numbers and productivity and, mm. you know, just getting people in the door kind of thing. Mm-hmm. You mentioned turnover, um, even at the place before that, was that just was that in employees and in clients or was that just in employees? Was that just in clients? What did that look like? It was, I would say it was a, we had more of a turnover in employees and then a never ending supply of clients, you Mm. know, like clients couldn't be seen on a regular basis because there were too many of them. Mm. Um, So they tried to put everyone in group, you know, Mm. people that really, didn't function well in group and probably shouldn't be in group. Uh-huh. They're trying to put them in group. And I'm like, I don't think that that's a good idea. Like they're going to take over the group every time, you know, that's not, that's not helpful. So. But, um, but then you can say the number we're serving this person. And it doesn't matter if, Hey, we're serving, serving, you know, 12 people, but like zero of the people are actually getting outcome from it and changing it's we can say we're serving 12 people. Right, exactly. And the therapist turnover rate was so high because they were overworked. I mean, every hour of their day was scheduled. Yeah. So the burnout rate was just ridiculous. There was no downtime. There was no planning time. There was no nothing. I mean, teachers have more planning time than, than an mm. outpatient therapist and community mental health. So, or well, at least here. Well, and usually what happens is like, there's no planning time. So it's, they, and they get in trouble if they, if they do overtime. So then people Mm -hmm. are in a place of either they work for free and just sort of like act like this didn't happen. And so then people say, well, they're able to have their productivity numbers. Why can't you? And so it just creates this broken, funky system where like someone's lying because this is just not sustainable. Exactly. So it, it became like, I don't know, like it wasn't good for the therapist. It wasn't good for the clients. And I just, I had already moved up to like clinical director and I wasn't getting to see clients anymore either. So I wasn't really happy with that. It was kind of like, "Eh, this is not really my world. Like this isn't what I got into this field to do. Yeah. So what, what month and year, if you recall, because I'm terrible with this too. Did you start your private practice? I started my practice in September of 2017, but then didn't like fully like incorporate everything and like form. It started as a DBA and then, you know, eventually became like a legal entity um, in April of 2018. Okay. Awesome. And so from the time when you started right in 2017, just which most people do as a sole proprietor, Cause you don't, right. I think sometimes people think like I need a DBA or I need to have an LLC or I need to have all these things when realistically, until you're making money, you don't have to do any of those things. There's no reason to do that. Just get yourself proprietor. How long did it take you to get full for you? And what did full mean for you at that point? Um, I would say that full for me, I wanted to see 20 to 25 people a week. Um, I was taking insurance because I really felt like in this area that that was what was needed um, with the way the economy was here and just the socioeconomic classes and stuff. I just didn't feel like 
private pay was going to be sustainable, at least not for what I needed to make. Um, <clears throat> so anyway, I would say that I was full. I can't even remember like exact days or dates, but I know when I, after I incorporated, I had only been in the new office in Lexington because I started in a little office in Winston. Um, and it was funny because I got full way faster when I moved into the office in Lexington, which I wouldn't have expected because Winston's a much bigger city. Um, but, you know, I guess that's how it happens. Um, so I, I want to say it was only like two to three months. It was like as soon as doctors around here and, and people knew I was here, I was getting referrals from pretty much any family doctor around and specialist around. <clears throat> and they were telling their patients and stuff like that. And so then I got an intern um, and she Let's was helpful there for a second. Like the, the other piece of like, sometimes when we're doing, it's called market research, right? We're starting our businesses. We kind of were like, well, this town is bigger or this town has a, like people are a little more wealthy or whatever those things mm -hmm. are. We'll, we'll kind of make these assumptions as to where we should put our business. And sometimes it's very unexpected, right? But it comes down to there was a need in Lexington. Everybody else was full. There was no place for all these providers to, to refer to. And so they're sitting there thinking, oh my gosh, what do I do? I have this person sitting in front of me. They clearly need therapy and I have no place to refer them. And then the amazing Beth comes into town and who really cares about the community and cares about the clients and says, Hey, I'm here to support the community. And I really want to be here and I have availability. And they're like, fantastic. Yes. Done. Right. So I think that that, that place of understanding, and I think sometimes too, we look at, maybe you might've even looked at Lexington and said, Oh, well, it's this really small town, about 10,000 people. There's already blank amount of therapists there. Right. Do you remember how mm -hmm. many therapists were there when you got to Lexington? I don't know the exact number of therapists, but I know there were at least five other um, between community mental health and group practices. And some of them were kind of a mixture like, you know, they take Medicaid and Medicare, but they weren't really community mental health. They also took a lot of private insurance. Yeah. Um, and, but they were all full. So they right. were on a six to eight week wait. Um, and really, I just chose opening it there because a lot of the people that did come to the Winston office were from Lexington and that's where we had just moved. So I'm like, why am I driving a half hour if I can open it? Like my clients <laughs> and I are driving a half an hour. Like this is silly. <laughs> I think that's funny too, right? Uh, what a great place of sometimes when you do what is best for you, it's also best for your clients. Like, right. what does this really look like? I think yeah. this is another part too, and I don't know if you had done this when you started your practice, but sometimes one of the best things you can do is just be the client and go, what would it look like if I was to search for a therapist and I was calling who I found on the internet? What's that experience like? Oh, we're, we're not taking people. Oh, I didn't get a call back. Oh, here's the thing versus like, oh, I'm connecting in with great people who are really engaged and, and whatever that looks like. I think sometimes that can give us some really good information and data. And it's, and again, it's not to downplay or to poo-poo the other people that were already there. They're just, they're overrun. 
right? They right. were overrun, which you got to experience later, right? I'm like, oh my gosh, what happens? You know, yeah. sometimes calls do get dropped and balls do get dropped and what have you. So, but having that experience, I think it can give you a lot more confidence in moving forward um, in, in practice. So what were some of the drawbacks of starting the practice and thinking it was going to grow slow versus we were kind of talking before we, we hit play about like kind of what happened, what you were expecting life was going to look like versus what it did. Yeah. So I thought I had more time to like develop more of my paperwork and like work on, you know, some of the, the blogs for the website and, uh, put some of my processes in place and all of that stuff in between clients because I didn't think I would be full that fast. And voila, here were all these people and I had like no time. So I was working a lot of extra hours just trying to get things done just in time for when I needed it. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I don't think I ever ended up starting the blog that I intended to do, which now I'm working on our brand new website and, and I'm planning on doing that because now I actually have a little grasp on everything and I can, I can do that now because I have help with other things now, but back then it was literally just me and I was doing everything. So it was like, Oh, what do I do? Yeah. So Uh, that's like intake paperwork. So like, what does my informed consent look like? And what should my policies be? Maybe even like, have I done the math of what I should do for like fees, what my cancellation policy should be, all of these kinds of details, intake paperwork, everything. And luckily I did already have intake, like a demographics form and like a HIPAA release form and that sort of thing, only because previously I was at a group practice. And so when I wanted to start my own, I went ahead and kind of developed my own prior to starting it. I don't know what made me do that, but thank God I did. Um, But as far as like practice policies, all of that stuff, I was kind of like scouring the internet, finding places that had like ones that had already been approved by, by lawyers and like then going in and changing a little bit of verbiage that didn't really change the content, but changed it for me, you know? Um, And that worked, you know, and it was off, places where they shared it with the purpose for, for you to do that. Um, and that was super helpful, but I, I was just kind of like, Oh, what do I do? And then I ended up using like brighter vision for my website, which is great when you need to get it done really quickly, but also extremely expensive. And then like anything you write to put on there is kind of like, Oh wait, did I write that? Or did they write that? Cause if they wrote it now, I can't take it to my new web site and I'm not oh. positive anymore which stuff they wrote and which stuff I wrote. Um, so I'm like, I guess I just need to write all new things, you know. Um, the best part is that what, what we definitely heard over and over again on this and what we train our clients to do is it's always best to write your own stuff. Um, there's really good stuff. And I think and what you write when you first open a private practice is often very different than once you're established. This just the tone, the way you're able to connect in with the community, the way you're able to like let people know here's what the process looks like and make it feel like smooth and effortless for them. Um, I think that changes over time versus at the beginning. It's like, 
hi, I'm a strength-based therapist who takes every insurance imaginable. I have, you know, appointments available now. Um, fill out this random form that just says subject line and message to schedule with me. And then I'm yes. making a mess to try to get on the phone with people and all of these things like versus like, oh, wow, they can book their consultation online or hey, here's, or they just yes. schedule online and things are in flow and it sends out the paperwork and like, oh, life is good. Yes. And you don't have to do anything. You just sit there and let it happen. <laughs> this is so good. So you, you mentioned that you expanded into group practice first with an intern. What were some of yes. the most unexpected? I don't know what I didn't know as you move from individual to group. Um, well, I guess I didn't know that I should probably have a minimum when I had contractors um that they needed to bring in in order to get that percentage like or have lower percentage brackets as well mm -hmm. like I wanted to make the fee split like really um fair mm -hmm. and so I did I felt like and they always felt that way too but what I never realized was you know a lot of my contractors decided later on they really liked being employees especially um after COVID happened and we had to go all telehealth and stuff so um, they wanted to go back to seeing people in person earlier than we could. So honestly, we grew too fast and we outgrew the space we were in. So we couldn't go back to that space. So we're now building a bigger space. But, um, so anyway, she went down to like one day a week and was only bringing in like a tiny bit of money, but she was still getting the same fee split. So I'm like, but wait, I'm still covering some of this overhead so that there's some consistency, you know, that was mm -hmm. part of why she paid the fee split. And I'm like, Oh, this has to be redone. You know, yeah. like this is not, this is not good. Now I'm transitioning to try to do it as employees, but still make it, um, uh, fair or, give them incentive to bring in more money to the practice, mm -hmm. like have kind of a bonus schedule and things of that nature so that they still, especially the people that have already been contractors and used to getting a fee split rather than a salary, mm -hmm. um, trying to make it where they feel like they're still getting that, that same comparable amount, if that makes yeah. sense. It's hard though, because, you know, part of the idea of a contractor initially, right. Is that this person is a business owner who's taking care of all of the overhead and that mm -hmm. they're just coming in to provide the service. And it's usually like a contractor really is like your bookkeeper or your mm -hmm. web designer or something. It's, it's not meant federally to be someone who is like a regular employee that this is their income. And so it's set up in such different ways. And so then we try to move over to an employee model and we're like, Oh, but, no, like they really are employees. They're not business owners. They don't want to go and market themselves. Like, here's what this process looks like. They want me to take care of the insurance billing or the billing or the scheduling and the receptionist and the printer and the power mm -hmm. and the, all of the things that you realize, oh, this, this split that I was doing leaves me where I'm actually paying them to work. Meaning when I take all of my expenses, even though in theory, right, I'm getting 30 or 40 or 50%, once I take all the expenses out, not even sometimes when you look at the amount of hours you're putting in, but just expenses out, you go, oh, crap. 
this is, especially when you have office space, you know, that you have mm-hmm. to do. And so it's a very, and then if, if you have also things like, oh, I want to do benefits. I want them to be able to have health coverage. I want them to have vacation and sick time. All right. of these things start to come together and it starts to feel like you're in a little bit of a, um, of a rocky place. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I think, I know you're not asking this, but I'll just throw this out there. Cause I, I think it's such an important place is know that as you create the vision for your group practice and create what you really want, that is community driven, that's really respectful to your employees and respectful to yourself. And that's sustainable. Um, if some of the people that were there before don't, it doesn't work for them or it doesn't feel good to them. That's okay. Because the worst thing is if your business feels great to everybody else, but if it doesn't feel good to you at the end of the day, right. then what you're doing. Right. Exactly. Right? Yeah. yeah. So full and, permission for me. <laughs> yeah. And, and I think that that was, it's just a learning curve, you know, but you also don't want to be a, a person that's like constantly changing their B split or their their rates on them because I've heard of that, you know, recently where people are doing that and it's like, they're changing it every couple of months. And it's like, no, 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 you can't, you can't do that. Like, no, no, I think it's because, you know, again, people haven't done the math. They haven't looked at what they want to do as their expansion expenses. We did that, that training, the free training in Zinni me, like how to play, how to, how to pay you and your employees well as a group practice mm-hmm. owner. And the amount of people as we're talking through, like, Hey, here are the numbers to look at. Here's what's going to happen if you do this. And you know, the whole like chat is blowing up with like, yes. Oh my gosh. Yes. That's exactly what happened to me. This is what happened. And then one of the group practice owners shared a video and they said like, here's the math. Here's what I had to do to create. And everyone's like, Oh, this is why I've been struggling because I didn't have this modeling where I could do the math and see what really works and kind of play it out. Because at a certain point, if you're, if you are all virtual with one office space, your expenses aren't that high. Or if you can share one office space, not a big deal. But at this point when you're like, well, we really need a four office space, which means we need an, we need a waiting room. It needs to have a bathroom. It'd be nice to have a kitchen. Your expenses didn't just you know, double or triple or quadruple, like it can 10 X your expenses really quickly. Like, and suddenly it's, it's not good. And a lot of group practice owners end up where they are seeing like a really hefty caseload and they're making less than they'd make if they were just solo. And so they're, they're doing great stuff for the world, but it does, it's not sustainable yeah. for them. Their, their employees or contractors are probably very happy, but they're like, what am I doing? <laughs> yes. yes. Yeah. And I, and I totally get that because the building we're looking at, at building that we just got the drawings back on is eight offices, three bathrooms, you know, a large waiting room, a reception area, you know, a group room and yeah. a, a break room. So, I mean, it's, it's a large office space and mm-hmm. it's, it will give everybody an office and it gives me like one extra. So, well, <laughs> and this is, I'll, I'll give you this little tidbit too, Beth. Um, in most cases, right. Unless like people have to share offices, like mm-hmm. logistically. And if you start with the, with the dynamic that somebody says, this is my office, 
then there's yeah. a couple things that happen. One is that obviously like you're, you're paying for all of that in a way that they're not. And they start to, to, there's some weird things that can happen. I've also seen people running a side business or their own private practice out of the group practices office <laughs> because they're like, this is my office. Like it's fine for me to go and use my office after hours. Cause this is my office as opposed to this is the practices office two people share who are on opposite schedules. Here's the dynamic. You leave the office ready for the next person. Here are the yes. pieces. So I'll give you that little tidbit. Yes, too. Thank you. I had not thought of that. Like, yes, I thought like, you know, if I give them their own office in the beginning and then later they had to share, that might be an issue, but I had not thought about somebody like using it, you know, <clears throat> after hours for their own benefit. I have, yeah, I've had it happen multiple times, (laughs) not, not to me personally, but to private practice owners around the country is happened multiple times enough for me to say, Hey, be aware. And even be aware of um, what happens where you're like, Oh wait, they just moved in for extra furniture and they brought in all their books from home and they're using this as personal storage. And, and and it, it starts out like, you know, oh, hey, I got a lot of books at home. I'd like to have them in the office. That sounds great. And then suddenly you start to see things kind of You're like, what's what's going on around what's here? Happening? What's happening? <clears throat> yes. But I think this is the piece, right? That we all struggle with as we move, step into that business owner space is there's a certain amount that like we're prepared for. And then there's all the rest of it. Like we don't know what we don't know. I think that's why it's so beautiful, A, that people come on here and share their success stories with other people of like, hey, here's what went well and here's what didn't and here's the sticky points. Um, But also when you can come into community with other people, right? Whether that's something like we do with our business school or the group practice exchange with Maureen Warbuck or what have you, that like having community is so incredibly important to be able to not just be putting out fires constantly to be able to see like, oh, this is, these are kind of like normal growth patterns and pains and we can prepare for those things. Right. Yes. And, and I will say like the one thing that I still have a hard time like doing is keeping that boundary of like, I'm setting aside this time to be working on like my business school bootcamp stuff or on the website or whatever I have going on that week or whatever. And then it never fails, like either the admin person or the intern needs me or a client needs an emergency appointment or something. And for a while, I did a really good job, like protecting that time. And I was so proud of myself. And then it got a little crazy and it went away. And I have to say, like, if I could, like, give anybody a piece of advice is to, like, put that in there, like, at the very beginning. So it's just a habit from the time that you start and you never schedule people there ever, not meetings, not nothing. That's just for you. It's not free time either. Like you're not going to, if you're working at home, you're not going to go start laundry then either, but you know, like you, you have to really use that for something because otherwise I feel like it can get so overwhelming because you have all of these ideas and all these things that you want to do. And then you just keep running out of time and you're still trying to balance home and work and the business side of things, not just your clients, you know, and that can be a lot. 
So if you don't carve that time out from the get-go, which I didn't, that was one of the the pitfalls, right? Yeah. Um, so it's still a hard habit to break after, you know, five years. It's like, oh yeah, that's right. I still need to have this time and it's, it's not touchable. You know, like nobody is allowed to touch this. Because we wouldn't, if it was a client appointment, we wouldn't just willy nilly reschedule that. Right? right. So we know we're like, oh, I'm just not, you know, I'm, I don't have enough willpower. Or I don't have enough ability. Or I'm not good at time management. No, you're great at time management. You show up with your clients, you show up consistently, like all of us double book or do something funky every once in a while, but like on a consistent basis, you have your stuff together. So that tells you, it's not about that. It is about you honoring the fact that you're a business owner. It's not just working in the business and putting out fires. It is the on, and you are the leader. You are the visionary. You are the person. And I think it also, when you don't do that over a long period of time, it gets overwhelming too. Cause it's like you procrastinate. It's like you have that closet in your house or something that where you just keep shoving crap. And then every time yes. you're just like, I can't even like, I don't even want to open the door because like, it just feels like too much versus like, okay, what if I open the door and I took one box out, I closed the door and I just went through that box. Mm-hmm. And then I, if I do that every week, right. For the next year, like that room's going to be clear. It's going to be okay. Maybe even before that, it's the same with our business. If we can just consistently take a little bite-sized piece, get it done, come up with a process. We were talking about this before it started too. the idea of like, oh, sometimes like if we're not thinking about it, we do things the hard way. Do you want to share a little bit about one of those areas where you realized like you were doing it the hard way? Yes. So the... I would say the biggest one is what we were talking about, which was bringing on new therapists. Um, Every time I would bring them on, it was like this huge undertaking because I had to train them on everything and it never failed. I always forgot something because I didn't even make a checklist. Right. And then all of a sudden there was this module in business school bootcamp. They're like, like, here's your checklist for training new employees and here's how you should do it. And you can make videos so that they can watch videos. So while you're training your next person, you should record it. And then guess what? You have it for the next time. And it made it so much easier. You know, we just hired a new therapist and it's so much easier because you're like, oh, wait, I already have all of that done. All I have to do is say, I need this filled out and this filled out and here's some videos to watch. And if you have any questions, please let me know. And then we can set up a meeting and we'll go over everything, make sure you got everything and mm-hmm. you're good to go. And that's it. You know? And it's like, oh, okay, I'm all done. And then that meeting can even be like more like connecting with the person as opposed to like market check list off. Cause I think yeah. sometimes people think, well, video is going to be more impersonal, what have you, where it's like, no, like if you do it right, like it can really be more personal. Like you can really like dig in and connect with your people. Well, and as therapists, I think we tend to want to connect more than do the trainings. Right. (laughs) So when I do meet people in person to like go over things, I tend to then try to connect with them at the same time. So then those trainings take twice as long. Right. Mm. And because you want to have that personal interaction Mm. and get to know them as a human being, not just another therapist that's going to be working with you. 
And I think that makes it so much easier if you can like send them that stuff, make sure that they know you're there if they have questions. And then when you meet with them, you can just do the fun stuff and get to know them as a person and not have to worry about all of that stuff. Yeah. Ah, oh, I love it. I love it. I love it. So I think we've done, I, I can't even believe that we've been chatting for this long. Like, I feel like it just flew through <laughs> 45 minutes. It's crazy or 40 minutes. Um, this has been really great. I think if there was one, you've already given like so many great little tidbits. Uh, but if there was one more piece of advice you want to give to group practice owners that are out there, um, what would that be? One little last bit. If, if you already know about business school bootcamp and you haven't started your practice yet, you should do that because it'll save you a whole <laughs> bunch of time and energy. Um, I did not find out about it until I think I signed up last year. And it was so funny because as soon as I went in like to the first module and there's all this paperwork, I'm like, oh, I mean, I've already developed all of this and mine is perfectly fine now, but wow, this would have been so much easier. Like, <laughs> you know, and then of course, as I moved through, there was other things that was, it was still extremely helpful. So, I mean, even if you already have a practice, it, yeah. it's still so helpful. Just like you were talking about, um, all of the different uh, Excel spreadsheets to help you use formulas and calculators and all of that stuff. I mean, it's like an invaluable tool that I go back to all the time, mm. even being in practice now and having five other therapists and an intern, the more that I grow and the more I expand, it's like the more that I need it. You know, they don't teach us enough in school about the business side of things. And I know that, um, they're working on that. Like I know that now it's kind of getting introduced. I've, I've heard a lot of the people that I subscribe to their emails saying that they're trying to get classes into a lot of the master's programs, you know, mm -hmm. and that's awesome because I think we all need that because how many of us really want to work in community mental health forever? Yeah. Right. Like that's not, I'm pretty sure we'd be really grumpy and burnout by the time we retired. <laughs> so yeah. Um, it's not sustainable. It's really not. Nah. And it's funny because I've gone and, and spoken at those universities and it's what they'll give you is like a 90 minute chat. It is uh, like, oh, like you really need like a semester or two. Like you need a track. In fact, so uh, mental health um, in general, worst paid master's degrees. And depending if you look at like the top 10 worst paid master's degrees, it's like MFT social work, art therapy, counseling, like it's like out of the 10, it's like six different versions of master's level therapists. It's, it's really distressing. Well, years ago, when we started this, the top um, master's degrees were actually one of them was chiropractors was in the top five. And I was talking with someone who's a chiropractor and they said, you know why that is? And I said, I really don't. And they said, well, really like 40% of the of the like master's program was on how to manipulate and how to do the work. 60% was in how to run the business aspect of it and how to actually start a chiropractic clinic. So here's really where it gets really interesting. At some point, right, over the last 20 years, some new chiropractic places started popping up saying, you know what, this hasn't been as strong. We wanna include more 
about how to heal people. We want to have more holistic work in the chiropractic. And so they did more and more of the healing modalities and less of the business. And some of them took out the business altogether. So then we started seeing the chiropractic <laughs> going down. And so I would meet chiropractors who went to these other kind of programs that didn't include business. And they're like, it's really rough. I didn't know. And I'm really struggling to get yeah. my business started and launching and I'm having to go back and, and figure it out. So it's this, well, it, it, what a great example. And so, yeah, I'm, I'm constantly reaching out to universities and trying to connect um, in and just say, Hey, how can we figure this out? And your program would work really for, I mean, yes, the, the paperwork would have to be adapted and things of that nature, but really you could use it for pretty much any, you know, HIPAA compliant medical yeah. um, field. You know, I'm getting certified in functional medicine now on top of my current stuff. And mm -hmm. I'm really excited about it because I had no idea how much it went with mental health and it definitely does. Um, and I've been able to like utilize a lot of the stuff in the business school boot camp and kind of adapt it and just reframe some of the wording and use it for that also. Yeah. No, it so, was. It but was. this time I'm doing it ahead of time. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> well, that wasn't exactly the tip I thought you were going to give, but I love that tip. I, I won't argue with it. If you want to go check us out at zittyme.com and um, click on free and you can get on the interest list for business school for therapists. Beth, thank you so much for being here and sharing your expertise. I'm so excited to hear about your new office space and hope you'll keep posting in business school for us to give you some feedback on how we can make sure that everything's set up properly with your employees. <laughs> that hopefully, <laughs> hopefully you'll be getting a, a link to check out the website I've developed very soon because I'm almost done. So I'm excited to see it. I'm excited. Yeah. All right, y'all. Until next time, we'll see you there. Just remember you are needed. Um, our world needs helpers and healers more than any other time that I've been alive. And um, if you are struggling on how to do that, there is support, whether it's through us or somebody else, just know that you're needed. You can do this. If this is your soul's work, we're here for it and you deserve to get paid for it. Until next time. I hope you loved today's episode. If you're a therapist who's tired of those long hours, low pay, and constantly battling burnout, don't forget our free video training designed just for you on how to build and grow a sustainable, profitable solo or group practice. Head over to zinimi.com slash podcast to check it out today. Until next time.